The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. And welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Melissa Lee, and today for Scott Wapner, rising rates beating up tech once again, but it is not alone. The reopening trade also floundering. Small caps getting closer to correction territory on track to break a five-month winning streak. So what is working in this market? We'll debate with our investment committee today. Jenny Harrington, CEO and portfolio manager at Gilman Hill Asset Management. Jim Labenthal, Josh Brown, and Pete Najarian. So let's get a check on where the markets stand at this hour. And we've got uh, the three major averages down just fractions of a percent. The Russell 2000 and the real standout here up by 1%, more than reversing the declines that we saw in yesterday's session of almost 3%. The story, though, of course, squarely on the 10-year yield, 1.722%, earlier hitting its highest level in 13 months. Pete Najarian, I will go to you. Should we be worried about rising rates? Um, I, I think it's, it really does, for me at least, uh, it, 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 it really comes down to what sort of a pace are we looking at these rising rates. I, I think, quite honestly, Mel, we had that big burst. We, we feel like we're somewhat pausing. If we get another burst, I think people will be a little bit, uh, you know, to some degree, have a little bit of fear in their hearts. But if it's slow and steady, I, I think that, it, that people are going to be able to embrace this for now. So it's been a nice run to the upside. Obviously, financials have really done well under the circumstances, especially as we've seen that 10-year get up to these 12- and 14-month highs, and that's been a pretty impressive run. So I don't think it's a fear factor, Mel, unless we really do see an acceleration to the upside. Jenny, what is your interpretation? Because the markets really do seem, when we hit these sort of 13-month levels, these sort of milestones, there is a pause, it feels like, in the markets. And that's healthy, to have a pause. I think we all like to see a rah-rah, go-go-go market, but that's not realistic. And so what we see is we see step functions, we see plateaus. Pete nailed it. He said it's all about the pace. It's also about the reasons. And the reasons why we climb closer to 2% or maybe even 3% are far more critical than the actual number of 2% or 3%. In theory, as we all know, interest rates go up in a strong economy because we're expecting strong future economic growth. So if that continues and if the reasons are right that we see a strong economy and interest rates step up in a rational way, we're going to be able to digest it and we're going to be able to handle it. And these like lines in the sand, in the sand that keep getting drawn, they'll keep being explained rationally if it happens at the right pace with the right reasons. And I, I so think, I'm pretty comfortable with it. One, go ahead. Go ahead, Jenny. Just one interesting thing that I've been thinking about is, you know, I manage this dividend income portfolio and usually the dividend stocks get hurt when rates are going up. But what we've seen lately is quite the reverse, right? We've seen the tech stocks getting hurt as interest rates are going up and the value stocks or the dividend stocks, they've actually gone up while interest rates are going up. So I think it really shows that so far interest rates are going up for the right reason, which is resumption of normal risk return, resumption of decent economic growth factors driving companies. Yeah, I was going to say when I interrupted Jenny by accident um, that the reason is very important, Jim 
time. I mean, the reason um, behind this is presumably, as Jenny had mentioned, economic growth, economic growth that has yet to come an earnings bounce back that has largely yet to come. Are we baking in a lot, Jim? And does it concern you that the consensus view on the street seems to be at this point that there will be a very robust recovery, not allowing for missteps in this reopen? Well, so the direct answer to your question is no, I am not particularly worried. You know, looking at S&P 500 earnings around 175 to $180 a share this year, maybe $200 next year. I think those are reasonable to answer your question based on the amount of fiscal stimulus, monetary support, and then of course the vaccines reopening the economy. You know, as, as a sailor, I'm always looking at the horizon and seeing what storm clouds may be coming over the horizon. I do think there's one thing we need to pay attention to, and this is to your uh, question about are we baking everything in, is we are going to hear more and more about infrastructure spending and taxes going up. Uh, infrastructure spending should be a positive for industrials, energies, materials, etc. But taxation going up in general is not a positive. And we need to just keep an eye on the next few months as this legislation comes together on the degree to which taxes are going up. Because that's really the only thing, as I look at the horizon, that's the only thing that's worrying me. Sailor, farmer, I can't keep track of you, Jim. You're all over the place there. <laughs> um, in terms of tax policy, what concerns you the most? Is it, is it a personal income tax or is it a rise in corporate tax? And, and are companies largely prepared corporate, because that was, well, that was in, his, that was in Biden's uh, platform when he was running, though? So, so it, you're right, it was in his platform. And, and I just want to repeat this because this is important. It's a question of the degree. Now, of, of the taxes, the one that probably worries me the most is corporate taxes because that affects U.S. competitiveness uh, elsewhere around the world. If the U.S. corporate tax rate goes to 25 percent, I think we're going to be fine. If it goes to 28 percent or higher, I think we've got to worry about things. Next on the list is capital gains because if you get a big hike in capital gains next year, um, you could. You could see some selling this year as people try to lock in uh, lower capital gains rates. I'm not saying head for the hills, not by a long shot. I'm invested happily. I think the future is bright. But again, I'm just looking at the horizon, and that's the one thing I've got my eye on. What's working in your view, Josh Brown, in this market? Are you looking at something? You're looking off to I, the I, side, I, so I think you're looking at what's working, and you're going to tell me now. I, I, I well, saw you looking off to the side, so we're on TV. I, I was actually, yeah, I was watching a little Paw Patrol while Jim was talking. Um, everything's working. I really don't know. I don't know what, what you guys are looking at. I feel like I'm looking at a different tape sometimes when I hear, uh, when I hear all this talk about uh, volatility. Whatever. The stock market looks amazing right now. Some of the most important stocks for the economy have the best charts you can find. So let's start with Caterpillar and Honeywell. These are flawless charts. The fundamentals, fine, I got it. But the, tr the, the, the buyers are coming in and accumulating on the way up. There's almost no volatility here. The airlines look much better. Look at uh, Southwest Airlines, LUV, the best chart in the group. So when I reference charts rather than fundamentals, it's because fundamentals aren't changing minute to minute. But stock prices are, and they are a re reflection of where investors feel good about what they're hearing on the fundamentals. So. I just cut to the chase. Um, I look at a new high for transports, up 1.2%. Mm -hmm. FedEx looks outstanding. And then they came in and bought the banks. So you had this like blow off top moment in rates, and it scared everybody out of the banks, but it was a very viable pullback, and the buyers did, in fact, come in. But all of that is going on while they're trying to double bottom the ARC stocks. 
So ARK, uh, the ARK ETF and all of the related stocks were actually red this morning. They're up more than 1% today, and they're doing that with a spike in interest rates, which is breaking a lot of Twitter narratives. Sorry about that, guys. So I think you have so much constructive activity happening all over the place. And then the last piece of this, Melissa, mm-hmm. we've been force-fed this lie that you needed large-cap tech. Apple is in a 17% drawdown from its all-time high, and the overall stock market is making new records. So all kinds of narratives are being shattered. We are absorbing higher rates on the 10-year. Overnight rates aren't budging, and the market looks pretty damn good to me. I think that's an interesting thing to pick up on, Josh, in terms of the notion that one needs to have large-cap tech stocks, that somehow it provides some ballast in a portfolio, that you got to have exposure there, um, et cetera, et cetera. Jenny Harrington, just to pick up on Josh's point, Apple's down 17% from its 52-week high. Amazon's down 14%. NVIDIA's down 16%. Qualcomm's down 22%. On and on and on for a lot of these tech names. Do you need, does one need large-cap technology stocks? No, and I'm so excited that you're asking me this. So from the first day that I came on CNBC, one of the things that I've said is that you don't have to be in all of those to do well. We also manage a discipline growth strategy. The performance on that's been terrific. It's kept up really nicely. And guess what? The only FANG stock that it's owned has been Facebook. It's a diversified portfolio. You don't need to own those. You've never needed to own them. Okay, maybe in 2020 it helped, but there's It's like Kramer says, there's always a bull market somewhere. So if you're a good portfolio manager and you're actually picking individual stocks, there's always something to do. You can always do well and have a successful investment portfolio. You don't have to own just the big obvious ones. And then those crowds get really traded and then things can get really ugly. So you're actually, I would argue, in the long run compounding your risk by jumping into the pool that everyone else is already in. And and this conversation comes on a day where there are a number of bullish calls on technology. Alphabet upgraded over uh, at Stiefel to a buy rating. Yesterday, we had Facebook. Deutsche Bank coming out with a street high of 385. Um, Jim, I will go to you. Do you agree with that? You own Alphabet, so you see some value there. But as for large cap tech in general, how are you feeling these days? I feel very good. And I've been early in saying this, which is that I think you look at the FANG stocks, include Microsoft, uh, include Qualcomm in there. You know, as Joshua was alluding to, they've had their corrections and actually it's been going on for quite some time. Amazon hit its high back in September. We're already in March at the end of March. So, you know, I look at these valuations and if I if I look at Apple, for instance, right, largest company in the world, mm-hmm. not only is it 26 times forward earnings, but its peg ratio, which is a measure of how expensive its growth rate is, is 1.9. And that's on the low side. That's something I can look at. Same with Qualcomm has a peg ratio of, of about one. These have now become cheap stocks, in my opinion, relative to the growth rate in their earnings. So I actually think Apple, they are poised. Uh, alphabet. I, I think they are. Hang on one second, Josh. They are poised to now take the baton. That doesn't mean the rest of the market has to suffer. It just means they're ready to start performing. Josh, you wanted to say what? We have to talk about Alphabet. Um, I was asked the question at the beginning of the year, which is the best uh, of the FANG names for 2021 or whatever Mm -hmm. segment we were doing. Um, And a few of us said Alphabet. And that has absolutely played out. This is the FANG name that never gave anything back did not top out last summer or last fall, uh, and has continued to chug higher. And I think one of the things that we correctly pointed out on the show about Alphabet is that in part it's a reopening stock. Something like 10 to 15% of search revenue comes from travel. 
and things related to leaving the home. So it's the fang that didn't need the pandemic uh, to continue to outperform. And it's not as cheap as it was six months ago uh, because it's gone up. Uh, but it's, it's really in a position where it could be the fang uh, that continues to outperform as the economy normalizes right. because of how instrumental it is for people to leave home. I think the reopening part is, is very interesting and a very good one on Alphabet. It's also worth noting that Alphabet, unlike, unlike a lot of the other FANG stocks, didn't get that run up during the pandemic. And so it's, it's re-rating, right. so to speak, is happening more recently as the other tech stocks like an Apple have been basically lying fallow, to use a term from Carter Braxtonworth of Cornerstone Macro, lying fallow for the, for the past six months, Jenny. So I would push back on Josh's argument, which to me, it sounded like you were saying, Josh, you know, we should look at Facebook, sorry, we should look at Google because it's up, because it's held up. To me, that's never a great argument to own something just because it's the one that's up. That's like, you know, saying you should go to where the puck's going, but you're saying the puck's already there. So where's it going going forward? Well, there was an upgrade today, and what did it say? That the price target was maybe up 15% from here. That's pretty lackluster for one of these names. And I also think that when we look at companies like Facebook and Google, we need to be hyper aware of the regulatory environment that's probably coming down the pipe at them. We've heard a lot of that. I know one of the regular guests on our contributors on CNBC is a guy named Roger McNamee. I think we should listen to what he's saying. And, um, and I think there's going to be a lot of pressure and a lot of regulation coming in the next year. So I think just because it's up 25%, just because it's trading at only 28 times forward earnings, that's not good enough. Um, for me, I wouldn't want to to be getting in on, on Google right now. Regulation. It was trading at 28 too. times. Yeah. It, it was trading at 28 times forward earnings, 100% lower too. So, you know, let, let's just let's just keep okay. in mind this has never been in your in your falling knife club. I know the types of stocks that you buy. There are more than one way to make money correctly. Mm -hmm. And Google's been a huge winner and a stock that's traded at a premium to the market for pretty much the entire time that it's been public. That's one. Two, but it's do we honestly think market. that most market participants, do we honestly think that most market participants aren't aware that there are regulatory pressures on large cap tech? Like, do we think that's news? I was going to say regulation to regulation. This has been the cloud hanging over technology for the longest time to the point now where it's probably not a cloud whatsoever. Pete, how many times have we seen these executives come on Capitol Hill, you know, or virtually speaking their piece and then nothing mm -hmm. happens to the stock anymore? Who cares? The interesting thing about the alphabet upgrade today from Stiefel is that they're citing digital digital ad trends. Their their outlook for advertising right. is rosy. And that is the same reason why Facebook got the street high price target yesterday. There is a trend here, and that is advertisers are ready to go. Businesses are ready to reopen and advertise their products yeah. and their services. And if you look, uh, whether you, you know, and, and, and they're pointing out Google a lot and for the right reasons, that's the one from today. But I'll go back to yesterday, like you're just bringing up, Mel. How about Facebook? When you look at Facebook and it's trading at 25 times earnings, I mean, literally, it's trading 25 times earnings, but look at where their growth is. If you look at their growth versus a, a Google or some of the other names, and you look at what their PE is right now, and then you look at their cash flows, it's almost not even a comparison. I mean, fa Facebook is the winner. And yet, Every time they get up in front of whomever they've got to get up in front of, there's Zuckerberg and all the rest of the CEOs in front of them. 
And I'll tell you, they just continue to grind and push higher. They were just pushing on that 300 level again just the other day. Did pull back a little bit. But I would not be surprised, Mel, if this is one of these names that could absolutely break out to the upside because they continue to build upon all their various v verticals. And with that, their growth is just absolutely extraordinary. So when I look at the free cash flows, when I look at everything that they are doing in so many ways so right, it's, it, I think that is the standout of the group for me right now. More so even than an Apple, more so than maybe Microsoft, some of these other names that we might want to bring up. More so but than I think Microsoft, it's, I, and Google. Microsoft used oh, yeah. to be your I, I, favorite. Oh, it's still, I still, I'm a, still a huge fan, and I th still think that they are eating away slowly at AWS for the cloud. So there's obviously that competition, and I think they've done an absolutely amazing job. Even year-to-date, that stock has done just fine. It's moved to the upside. It's tested a new 52-week high and then pulled back. But when you look at a lot of these various names, I think Facebook is the one that really right now might have the most upside because of the fact that they have so many different verticals to pull upon, and on top of that, the, the free cash flow, the cash flows that they have, it's just extraordinary. And all they do is continue to build out more and more and more. And I think that's where you've got to give Zuckerberg a lot of credit because a lot of, a lot of companies at that point in time would have slowed down. They would have said, oh, well, we got to deal with this regulatory stuff. He doesn't care. He'll continue to go up in front of whoever wants to call him up there and his stock will continue to go higher. Yeah, there is no threat until Congress men and women understand these businesses a little bit better. Um, I wanted to uh, draw draw sort of the, 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 all of these stocks that we've been talking about, big cap tech stocks, belong to a club. That is the Crowded Trade Club. And Jeffries had this note out today. Um, <laughs> and they define crowded trades as the largest net long weights by hedge funds. And they basically see that uh, these, these, uh, this underperformance amongst this group of stocks, a crowded trade club, will probably continue. A lot of the names are not names we haven't talked about yet. PayPal, Disney, Visa, Thermo Fisher, Zoetis, et cetera, et cetera. But they also include uh, some of these big cap tech stocks, which we have been talking about, like a Microsoft, which you, Jim, do own. Yes. Um, I'm sorry, so I didn't hear your question, though, Mel. Do you think that the underperformance in this crowded trade club will continue? I, well, I actually think the term crowded trade could be extended well past the FANG and technology stocks. If you look at where fund flows have been for the last several months, they've actually favored energy more than anything else. So, you know, when I think of crowded trade, the tech stocks are unloved, including Microsoft. It's the cyclical stocks that I think if you want to make the argument that they're crowded, that's where they're crowded. Having said that, I'm really not worried about crowded or fund flows because at the end of the day, the fundamentals do support and those fund flows across the board are being generated by easy money that's just not going to stop anytime soon. Don't crowded trade. I mean, crowded trades. I understand what you're saying about energy, um, Jim, but but crowded meaning that it's it's more than 10 percent net long in the hedge fund community, that, that there is major positions in a lot of these stocks. Pete, doesn't that um, impact how these stocks trade and whether or not we see this underperformance? I mean, if you're an individual investor, you got these names and they do extend well beyond the big cap tech stocks. Um, Jeffries does include Activision Blizzard, Twilio. Uh, MasterCard, et cetera, et cetera. There's a long list of them. But shouldn't you be worried about hedge funds, how hedge funds move in and out, particularly around quarter ends? 
and especially because of the fact that, Mel, we, we're always backwards looking when we're talking about these uh, these hedge funds and what their positions are, and, and maybe they're shifting around themselves. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, quite honestly, I, I still just go back to the fundamental story all the time, Mel, when I'm looking at these various companies and just look at it and try to make sense of it and whether or not are they stretched, are they not? I mean, one good example from the very top of the show we were talking about, there are some names out there that, you know, whether or not you want to put in the Pelotons, the DocuSigns, all the rest of those, those are the stocks that, you know, and Josh was referencing this as well. Those are the stocks where we've seen a lot more of that pressure. And we see these significant moves to the downside because they either had no P.E. or an extremely high P.E. But I think you still have to look for quality. If you can find quality and it's trading at a reasonable P.E. level, I think that is the place to be. And whether or not the hedge funds are there with you or not, I don't get as concerned about it then because I think the reality is too many people have been chasing. And they've been chasing that, that, you know, that incredible run to the upside that they feel they're going to get out of the next stock that comes public and the next stock that everybody says is the stock to have. And yet, as we're coming out of the pandemic, to some degree at least, and vaccines continue to get out more and more, we are starting to see which are the quality names that are going to be able to continue forward and which are the names that did extend way too far that probably don't still have that upward uh, uh, movement potential that they once that everybody thought they once did so i think you've got to really shift around in a big way these days to find the the, the correct quality names that still trade with a pe that makes sense this market as pete had mentioned throughout the pandemic has been a market of crowded trades working if you weren't in the trades that you were not performing or outperforming the indices but josh i feel like you've got a pearl of wisdom about how to regard crowded trades in this market I'm sure there is somebody out there who makes money based on like um, obsessing over what other people are doing. I just haven't met that person yet, but I'm only in this <laughs> business since 1997. So uh, it may just be that I haven't searched long enough and met enough traders. The reality is if you focus on your investment strategy, whether it's dividend income or it's growth at a reasonable price or it's diversified growth or um, it's, it's rebalancing. Like if you focus more on getting that part right and, and having an appropriate asset allocation for the amount of risk you want to take, there will be stocks that you end up owning that are crowded. Like it's unavoidable, especially if you own high quality companies. But in the end, things that are fads and they fade out and they fade back in, we've seen it over the years with solar, we've seen it with semiconductors, biotech, there's always going to be the, the in group of stocks and then they'll go out and they'll come back again. It's really important that you not make buy and sell decisions, especially over the long term, uh, based on that kind of thing. Now, if you're somebody that's writing an algorithm and you want to fade other people, that's like probably not most of our audience. So just like back to the Google example, mm -hmm. um, over the last 10 years, if you just focused on the fact that Google is growing its revenue and earnings faster than the market and is not really outrageously expensive, um, you've turned $10,000 over the last 10 years into 70000 That same 10000 invested in the S&P 500 value ETF really only turned into 22000 Both returns are fine. There's nothing wrong with doubling your money from 10 to 22, but 10 to 70 is better. All you had to do, though, was sit through these periods where people looked at Google and said, it's crowded. If you could avoid that, that kind of stuff, and just focus on why you bought it in the first place, I think you came out okay. Now that was a pearl. It was a big pearl, but it was a pearl, Josh. Thank you for that. Investment committee, of course, <laughs> as usual, making moves. Jenny has two new buys. What are they, Jenny? 
Sure, the first is H&R Block, which we added last week. This is really interesting. It's the company that we all know, right? In the storefronts, a little accounting um, firm, but it's actually a lot more than that. It has a huge online DIY competing with TurboTax business. They do 22 million tax returns a year. Their earnings were really mixed up because of the pandemic. So they had terrible earnings in 20. They're having great earnings in 2021. In 2022, when the earnings normalize, they'll probably earn $2.50 a share. Meanwhile, it's got a dollar four dividend. That would leave it trading at about 10 times earnings. One of the most interesting things here is that the new CEO, relatively new CEO, was the former president, president of Uber. So he's coming in here with a real technology focus and saying, holy smokes, I've got a company with 20, with, that does 22 million tax returns a year, a huge embedded client base, huge embedded cash flows, Earnings positive, like, wow, this is a really great opportunity. So on H&R Block, I, oh, by the way, it also has a 5% dividend yield. So it's really compelling, really exciting. The other one is, um, is cool, but a little less exciting, which we added to our international income strategy, and that's Unilever, which owns some of the most iconic brands we know um, you know, competitive with my brother's ice cream company, Ben & Jerry's. We, they own Dove, they own Hellman's. It has a 3.6% dividend yield. It trades at 18 times. It's down 12% from its high last October. Um, and we just think that there's a lot of earnings growth. Sorry, one other thing there too is that they're very competitive um, and growing in the emerging markets space. So that's a nice way to play emerging markets in a really safe way in the growth in emerging markets. So both great dividend companies, earnings multiples below the market. Um, and it's nice to find stuff in this market that otherwise can be interpreted as frothy. It's nice to find things that haven't kept up that are still below the radar. Pete, I go to you. You got a new buy. You're doing a bunch of buying calls, selling some calls. Can you walk us through? Yeah, I'll give you one that's a, it's a stock. Now, this one mm -hmm. is pretty inflated, Mel, but I've been waiting for an opportunity. It finally had a pretty significant pullback from the highs after it sprinted higher. But that's Celius Holdings. And Celsius Holdings is an interesting company because it's sort of in that dietary. It's sort of, it, it's sort of a competitor. I guess you could put it up against Monster, maybe Red Bull. But in that, that sort of a category, it's, it's, it's a supplement, sort of a drink that I think is really intriguing. And they've had incredible growth. They did slow down in the fourth quarter. That's why they got that significant pullback uh, to down to where it is right now, which is in the mid-40s. It had been up, I think, above 60. So is it still inflated? Yes, absolutely. But I do think when you consider the growth that it's got right now and the trajectory going forward and the new distributions that they're looking at, I think there's a lot of reasons to be excited about this name. So I started a position there. I don't by any means think that I'm buying the bottom of this dip from the stock, but I still wanted to start building a position here because I'm a believer in this company. I had great success in the past with names like Monster, and I think this is one that's gonna play out somewhat similarly to that. In terms of the options, Kratos is one that just continues to hit for us, Mel. It's in the defense aerospace, aerospace uh, area, and it just continued to see upside call buying in there. And when I see that, it seems like this is one of those names that uh, you know, they've got defense, they've got security and all the rest of it. And this is a name that does move really, really rapidly. It already has moved from yesterday, and we're seeing even more option paper in there today. So this is another one of the ads that I've got. But I've got way too many more to go through the whole list. So Yeah, we'll try him through the show. Coming up next, fallout from yeah. Archegos, the fund that is sending shockwaves through Wall Street. And do not miss CNBC's Race and Opportunity in America special tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern time, amid the rise in anti-Asian violence in the U.S., we look at the economic and social challenges facing the Asian-American community. Talk to business leaders, including the director of Crazy Rich Asians, John Liu, box CEO, Che Huang, former Avon CEO, Andrea Jung, fashion designer, Philip Lim, and pager duty CEO, Jennifer Tejada. Halftime's back in two.
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here's your CNBC News update at this hour. A witness in the Derek Chauvin trial has testified that he called 911 because he believed he was witnessing a murder. Donald Williams was among the onlookers shouting at Chauvin to get off George Floyd last May. Federal regulators say that New York City's congestion pricing plan has to face an environmental assessment before it can take effect. The plan, potentially the largest in the country, would charge tolls to manage traffic in midtown Manhattan. Italy has imposed a five-day quarantine on people entering the country from other EU nations. Officials are trying to deter Easter getaways and also limit the spread of COVID. And in South Dakota, more than 400 homes have been evacuated due to wildfires that have also closed Mount Rushmore. High winds there are complicating efforts to control the fires, but at least so far, no injuries have been reported. You're now up to date. Melissa, I'll send it back to you. Rahel, thank you. Rahel Solomon. The fallout from those big margin calls on hedge fund Archegos Capital continues to work its way through Wall Street and the markets. Leslie Picker is here with the latest on that. Leslie. Hey, Melissa, the latest is that S&P just announced that it was revising Credit Suisse's outlook to negative from stable. Uh, the rationale they say in a press release that came out just a few minutes ago is that they believe the capital suite or, sorry, Credit Suisse, uh, can manage the potential financial losses due to its strong capitalization, robust underlying earnings. But, and this is the important thing where I think we could see more of these potentially, the incident raises questions about the quality of risk management, the group's risk appetite, and adequacy of risk return profile. Uh, also, J.P. Morgan out with a new note estimating the total damage to global banks as high as 10 billion dollars, Melissa. One of the biggest unanswered questions right now is how did large marquee firms let their client Archegos Capital amass so much risk without blinking an eye or at least taking a beat to try to understand his exposure and their own? I'm talking about prior to last week, prior to the margin call and subsequent unwinding of the firm. Why were those questions not asked? Now, the risk levels for Archegos's Bill Huang ran well uh, above logic. I spoke with several hedge fund managers who said they could not fathom the type of tolerance, the type of risk tolerance that he had in his positioning. The Financial Times reported that banks were lending to Archegos at ratios as high as eight to one. Citing people familiar with the matter, the FT added that in some trades, ratios were as high as 20 to one, that means it would take a very small move downward in a name to wipe out the whole position. His book was also reportedly heavily concentrated and illiquid by the time we saw the unwinding unfold. As J.P. Morgan notes, though, Archegos is uh, used equity swaps, and that increased the ability of the prime 
uh, prime brokers to see his concentration risk in his various holdings. Now, a spokeswoman for Archegos telling CNBC, quote, this is a challenging time for the family office of Archegos Capital Management, our partners and employees. All plans are being discussed as Mr. Huang and the team determine the best path forward. Melissa. There was a quote in an FT article, I believe it was yesterday. I'm going to probably mangle this quote, Leslie, but it said something to the effect of Huang was like a Reddit trader with a Goldman Sachs credit card. I mean, it was just the the kind of risk taking <laughs> he took was akin to sort of the, the all in, let's go, you know, up to the wall. I'll use that phrase instead um, with this position, these positions and some of these Chinese Internet stocks, as well as Viacom and, and Discovery, et cetera. That is a great quote. And it's interesting and worth noting that, you know, in a, a typical hedge fund structure, you will have LPs or limited partners, investors in the fund, whether it be an endowment, a nonprofit, a pension fund or whomever that you they kind of serve as almost your boss. They're your clients. They invest in your fund you know, pay you fees and so forth. Uh, and so you have to have certain risk controls in place in your contract with them to ensure that, you know, you are taking the appropriate risk mitigation steps necessary. It doesn't always work. Hedge funds blow up. That happens. Uh, but this being a family office, it, it, one can assume that the same kind of risk controls may not have been in place, which would allow someone to take the amount of leverage, the amount of risk that he did. Uh, so worth distinguishing those two as well. That's a good point there. Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker. Um, Jim Labenthal, Viacom CBS. You're in it? Yes. Well, Melissa, you know, before any of us had heard the name Bill Wong, uh, I was an investor in this company back in late 2019. Unfortunately, wrote it down last year, but stayed with it. Um, sold it earlier this year, uh, about uh, five weeks or so ago, at $60 a share. Had a nice little profit on it and was willing to walk away from it. I saw it shoot up. Couldn't really figure out what was going on. So last Friday, you know, we're, we're sort of getting to the end of the day. It's down at about $45 a share. That's 25% lower than where I sold it just last month. I've decided to build a position again. Now, look, again, having nothing to do with Bill Wong, this company is actually doing well and not getting credit for it. Almost 20 million subscribers in its flagship streaming service, over 40 million subscribers for Pluto TV, has CBS Sports, CBS News, a ton of shows in its library. Uh, this is an undersung uh, hero in the streaming wars. All that plus they raise a lot of money. And as Karen Feinerman pointed out to me yesterday on, on Fast, that may have been the greatest trade out of this whole Viacom, CBS, <laughs> Archegos capital thing that the CFO actually went out and raised money on this rising stock price. Jenny, you've owned this stock. So what do you think now? So this is where you need to weed out people being cute and being like, oh, well, I'm holding, but I'm not buying. No, if you're holding, you're buying. If you're, if you're not holding, you're selling. So we're holding. We added this to our portfolio last May at $16 a share. And so as it's gone from 16 to 32 to 50 to 60 to 80, what we've done is over and over reassess if that makes sense. Since I'm not a crackerjack investigative journalist or reporter like Leslie, I had no way of knowing who the hedge funds were and what was going on behind that. As a lowly investor, all I have access to is the regular holders. And I could, I, when we were investigating this and to research it, um, we were looking at it, we're like, okay, solid holding base. Company that's gonna earn, call it $4.50, maybe we can even get them up to $5 a share. Let's put a multiple, 
discount to the market, but let's put a multiple of 15 to 20 times on that. Then you have a stock that trades at, call it 75 to 100 times. So I was doing the really fundamental research throughout that, and I'm still holding it, which means I'm buying it. Um, and I think as we get back to 100, that's probably when I start to sell it. Hopefully we'll get back there. It should get back there. And to Jim's point, it's doing really well. And to your point, Melissa, it was a great trade last week. So you know what? They're actually better off today mm -hmm. than they were a week and a half ago because now they've got $3 billion burning a hole in their pocket that they can use for growth and they delevered doing that. Right. So I'm quite positive on it right now. All right, up next, Pete's latest trades in unusual activity. Plus, in honor of Women's History Month, we are spotlighting some of the talented women that work at CNBC. Here is Halftime Report's senior producer, Patricia Martell, with her advice for the next generation. I was raised to believe that women can do anything. I was the first person in my family to go to college and the first person in my family to have a corporate career. So to those young women with dreams and ambition, my advice to you is this. If you're the first in your family, persevere. If you're the only woman in the room, persevere. If you're the only person of color in the room, persevere. Work hard. Find the people that will help you. Learn from your mistakes and know your worth. The path won't always be easy or straight, but don't stop until you get there. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started. Time for unusual activity. So, Pete, what are you watching? All right. So, number one, I'm going to give you one of those in the industrial metal space, BHP Group, Mel. Now, this one, we don't see this that very often, but today we were seeing some really large trading in there. As a matter of fact, they bought 16,000 of the September 77.5 calls for 255 in a single print. It's really interesting, though, Mel, because not only is this not a name that we see very often, but we really haven't seen a lot of options extending out in time. So that makes it unusual as well because they are going out to September. I got a second one for you as well. I got Citigroup. Now, we haven't seen this name in a long time. We've seen a lot of different financial names. Wells Fargo hits consistently, Bank of America, a lot of other names. Now we're seeing Citi once again. And Citi was trading right around $73 a share. They were buying the April 76 calls. And those were going for about $1.15. About 5,000 of those were bought, Mel. So that stood out for me just because we hadn't seen that name in a while. Lastly, I'm going to give you Wheaton Precious Metals. Now, this is another one where they've gone out a little bit in time. They went out to May. They're buying the May 40 calls, 7,900 of those calls being bought today as well. So across the board, we're seeing industrial metals, seeing some in the precious metals and in the financials. And we've been talking about some of the areas where we've seen a lot of activity. It's been in, it's been in the material space, been in the industrial space, been in the financial space, and those those are the names and those are the sectors that have moved mostly to the upside of late. All right. Thanks for that, Pete. Straight ahead, the trades on today's biggest analyst calls. Halftime's back in two.
Now to Rahel Solomon with a few calls of the day. Rahel. Hi, Melissa. Well, as you know, some of the pizza chains benefited in a big way from lockdowns. And BMO thinks there is more room for more. Papa John's initiating it at Outperform with a $105 price target. Analysts point out that the company has made meaningful progress repositioning the brand and sees growth improving margins within the next few years. Uh, sticking with pizza now, Domino's is initiated as a buy at City. Price target here is $4.35 a share. Firm sees earnings growing as customers take to carry out again, which offers the company better margins. Morgan Stanley is naming Procter & Gamble a top pick. Firm expects revenue and EPS growth due to management changes and also P&G's shifting to more premium products and higher growth categories. Melissa, that'll increase margins. You can see shares, though, are down about 1.3% right now. And Gordon Haskett diving into the travel names, initiating Expedia with a buy and a $211 price target. So analysts think that Expedia benefits from pent-up demand in the near term, especially in the U.S. Stock's been an outperformer recently. It's up 91% in the past six months, right now about 1.2%. And the firm also initiating coverage of booking holdings with a hold. Target is $2,574 a share. Gordon Haskett saying that it's still a best-in-class margin story, but here it's really honing in on its big European footprint, noting that new COVID restrictions could make near-term expansion difficult. The stock's up 100% from the market pandemic low on March 23rd and down right now fractionally. Melissa, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, thanks. Um, Josh Brown, you like some of these online travel names, don't you? I like all of them. I think mm-hmm. if, if if one one or two work, it's because it's a huge secular trend of people rediscovering how much they enjoy travel. When you look at Google search terms, all the airlines are very highly ranked now individually. Um, you're seeing high rankings for hotel chains, but you're seeing the highest ranking for the booking sites. So I think that's like a really easy way to play uh, the reopening. Um, but I think Uber probably has as much upside as any of them from the, the low 50s where it's trading right now. It is a reopen stock. Some would say, aside from Uber Eats, it really is the quintessential reopen stock. And if consumers are back to traveling, they'll also be back to hailing rides. And that's a huge uh, opportunity for, for, for shareholders in this stock. Uh, and I think we'll see it above 60 in the not uh, too distant future. And Jim, you like travel too, and, and you're playing it through Alaska? Uh, Alaska and also Boeing um, actually have a, a meaningful amount of aerospace exposure. I think uh, just in terms of reopening trades, you've kind of got to pick your poison. I know some people like cruise lines, some people like gaming stocks. Airlines for me just seem to have the fastest rebound. You can see it. You can go to an airport. You can check TSA travel. But also to Josh's point, these online travel services, I think, are right there at the epicenter of the reopening. All right. The committee is ready to answer your questions. So send them to us. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com. We're back right after this. The investment committee is answering your questions. The first one is for Jim. Jamie in Pennsylvania writes, Farmer Jim, you've been a longtime fan of Northrop Grumman, but nothing will make it move. Are you still holding? Jim, what do you say? Uh, Yes, uh, Jamie, you're right. I I am embarrassed to say this thing's been a dog since I've owned it. Um, The reason for that is the presumption, probably correct, that defense spending is going to get cut. 
But uh, where it's not going to get cut is in the aerospace sector, uh, not in terms of drones, satellites, missiles. That's what Northrop Grumman produces. It's also producing the B-21 new bomber. Uh, frankly, I think that it is overdone on the downside. I'm not only holding, I've been adding to it recently. You look at the chart, uh, the last couple of months, it shows a clear sign of regaining an upward trend. I think right now is the time to own Northrop Grumman. All right. The next one is for Josh. It's a would you rather, if you will. Um, Patsy tweets, <laughs> Salesforce or Oracle? TRB, what do you say? Just purely on, tech, purely on technicals, uh, Oracle looks outstanding and Salesforce looks extremely sloppy. Uh, I like both companies, but like from these levels uh, in the near term, Oracle looks like it's going to make another new high uh, and head toward 100. And I can't really give you a, a concise explainer. I would recommend the Barron's cover story on Oracle from three weeks ago, where they explain why this could be the next big uh, SaaS slash cloud play as they transform the company from within. So it's not expensive and technically it looks great. ORCL would be my pick. All right, Pete, this one's for you. Jody Dunlop tweets, are you on halftime today? U.S. Steel is breaking out. It's very observant, Jody. Yes, you are on halftime today, Pete. So what do you say about U.S. Steel? Yes. So I am here. I have a lot of exposure in a lot of the industrial metals, Mel, from tech resources to BHP, which I already talked about, as well as U.S. Steel. I love what we're seeing. It's definitely breaking out to the upside. We've had a lot of unusual option activity, including this morning here. So I continue to like this name, and I'm going to ride it out for a little while longer. But it's made a great move over the last couple of weeks to the upside. It's really, really sharp. Be disciplined if it starts to turn. All right. Uh, lastly, for Jenny, yep. Keaton, Florida writes, Jenny, a while back you recommended Targa Resources. I'm up 38%. Do you still like it? So nothing makes me happier in the whole world than knowing that someone A, actually listened to me and B, made money. So this is the best. But unfortunately, um, I am selling it. It's a source of cash. So I think it's probably maxed out. It's not cheap anymore. The dividend's not rich anymore. I think the upside is really limited and you can probably repurpose those funds, reinvest in something else and make more, more money going forward somewhere else. All right. So I'm selling it. Up next, we got the final trades here on Half. Time for the final trades. Jenny Harrington. Navient, still trading super cheap. Four, time, four and a half times earnings with a four and a half percent dividend yield. Jim Labenthal. Uh, Boeing looks like it has finished its consolidating and is ready to take its next leg higher to $275 a share. It was so nice of Jenny and Jim to be so concise. Uh, Josh Brown. You got like 20 <laughs> seconds, 25 seconds, give Spr or take. Uh, Sprouts Farmers Market is a breakout in progress. I wish I had a siren behind me. Has not been <laughs> above 28 since uh, 2015. Looks like it's about to take that level out. I'm not long. I should be. Pete Nigerian. You could say it's sprouting, Josh. No, I've owned <laughs> Casey's General Store for a I've owned Casey's General Store for a really long time, and I think this thing continues to go to the upside. So to keep an eye on this name, C A S S Y. You guys have all been so great, finishing on time, nicely done. Thank, thanks for having me on the halftime with you guys. Scott will be back tomorrow. I'll see you tonight at five for Fast Money. You've been listening to CNBC's halftime report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. 
So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.